Welcome everyone to the She Can Fix It podcast. My name is Dr. Alana Munger. On this episode, we have a great interview with Dr. Selena Poon. Dr. Poon is a pediatric orthopedic surgeon at Shriners for Children Medical Center in Pasadena, California. I wanted to speak with Dr. Poon because she has been publishing numerous manuscripts with the female orthopod in mind, such as investigating the costs of maternity leave and whether a career in orthopedic surgery affects a female surgeon's fertility. I hope you enjoy this episode of the She Can Fix It podcast with Dr. Selena Poon. I want to take a moment to talk about a great company that I recently discovered. I know we are all now in search of a new scrub provider given recent events. I want to share with you a company called Just Cause Scrubs that was created by an orthopedic oncologist by the name of Dr. Scott Porter. Just Cause Scrubs is an amazing scrub and medical-related apparel company with a humanitarian focus. Just Cause Scrubs donates 50% of all of their profits to the charity of the customer's choice. What's also amazing is that they're offering 10% off for the listeners of the She Can Fix It podcast. Visit www.justcausescrubs.com slash shecanfixit to get 10% off your order. With the holiday season coming up, a nice pair of embroidered scrubs is looking like the perfect gift. Again, the website is www.justcausescrubs.com slash shecanfixit to get 10% off your order and support a just cause. Dr. Selena Poon, thank you so much for joining us on the She Can Fix It podcast. I sincerely appreciate you taking the time to speak with me today, and I'm very excited to learn all about your career and your research. Great. Thank you for having me. Well, I would love to start... Um, just with the basics, where where did you grow up, your college, medical school, residency, fellowship, and beyond? Uh, so, well, I was actually born in Hong Kong, um, and I emigrated with my family when I was nine years old to uh, California. Uh, went to school in Santa Monica here um, in, in Southern California. Uh, went to college in Berkeley because it was just far enough away from my parents that they can't just randomly show up, but I can always come <laughs> home with laundry every weekend. Oh my so gosh, <laughs> I went to Berkeley for my college. Um, I actually uh, did a master's in tax oh. over at USC and then worked for a year at uh, Arthur Anderson as a tax accountant prior to going to Tulane uh, for my medical school. Residency was at Baylor in Houston, Texas. Fellowship was in pediatric orthopedics in New York at, at Columbia. Mm-hmm. Um, worked for a few years in North Shore LIJ, so on Long Island for about six years, and then finally came back to LA. So a full circle. Wow. Uh, and now I work for the Shriners uh, for Children Medical Center here in Pasadena, California. Amazing. Can you talk a little bit about when you first knew you wanted to do orthopedic surgery? Yeah, sure. So I was actually one of those clueless med students who didn't know orthopedic surgery existed. So I I wasn't a sports person. So I never tore an ACL or had kind of sports injury to meet my first orthopedic surgeon. Mm -hmm. So I didn't know know orthopedics was a field. And 
during my third year rotations, I wanted to try cardiothoracic surgery because that just sounded so cool. Right. Unfortunately, um, so did a lot of people apparently. And so I didn't get that rotation and I was given orthopedics and I was like, I don't know what that is, but sure, why not? Um, so I, I did my rotation in orthopedic surgery. And when I walked into the OR, they handed me a power drill. And that changed my whole life. I was like, <laughs> oh my God, this is it. <laughs> this is my life. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I didn't know anything about it, but I just felt really part of the, the team. The people mm-hmm. were great at Tulane. So this is where I am now. Right. Oh, that's awesome. Can you talk a little bit about why you chose to become an expert in pediatric orthopedic surgery and kind of what you've loved about working at Shriners Hospital? Yeah. Um, so I feel like my maturity may have stopped at 14. I love dressing up all of October. Um, actually, October 1st is when I start dressing up for Halloween. Um, so and and I just feel like I I can connect with the kids and I really do, you know, am able to think a little bit more like them than Mm -hmm. uh, some other people. Uh, The other thing is I love the fact that kids heal so well. There is Mm -hmm. like, they they will heal almost anything. Um, And so, and and I just really enjoy being able to operate all over the body instead Mm -hmm. of just one part. No, no uh, disrespect to my joints colleague, but like hip, (laughs) knee, right hip, left hip. It gets, I I think it gets a little bit boring versus me. I can, I can do the whole body, Mm -hmm. most of it at least. Um, And so I really enjoy that. And so it keeps me, my, keeps me on my toes. Oh, that's amazing. And how about Shriners Hospital? You're actually the first um, surgeon who I've known interviewed or who actually um, operates there. So what has life been like over there? So Shriners is this amazing organization where, you know, they will will provide orthopedic, orthopedic and plastic surgery and specialty uh, surgical care to any kid, regardless of their ability to pay. Mm. So if you cannot afford medical care, we'd be more than happy to just treat you um, the way we treat everybody. So um, I I feel very lucky to work for this organization Mm -hmm. where um, if you can walk through the door, I can provide you the world-class care that we have here. Um, And so I've I've had a lot of very grateful patients who can only give me tortillas as (laughs) as their method of repayment (laughs) and just to show their appreciation. And, And I just feel like it's so... It's, it's, it's a great way to, 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 to work, right? Mm-hmm. I do what I love, and then I have patients who absolutely need it, and they appreciate it. So oh. I'm, I'm very lucky. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I know. I've wanted to interview you for such a long time because you've just been pumping out so much research. And so I would love to finally get into some of the research <laughs> articles that you've been doing. And so the first one... Mm-hmm. Um, was actually one that was published in JBJS in April of 2019. And it's entitled, Academic Metrics Do Not Explain the Underrepresentation of Women in Orthopedic Training Programs. And so you basically examined over 9,000 first-time applicants, and over 6,000 of those ended up becoming or going into orthopedic surgery. And this was from 2005 to 2014. And you basically looked at uh, men and women, what their step one, step two scores were, their AOA status, and all those sorts of things. Um, The percentage of female applicants increased 
from 2005 to 2014. And what was interesting is that when you compared the men and the women, the step one scores of the male applicants were approximately 2% higher than those of the female applicants, which is statistically significant, but it's like not clinically significant, I don't think. And then the volunteer experiences for female applicants were 12% higher than that in comparison to the male applicants. And so in conclusion, you uh, said that the growth rate of women in orthopedic residencies lags behind other surgical subspecialties, but this is not probably due to academic metrics since men and women were very similar. What was your inspiration for doing this research project? So my inspiration for all my projects is usually a conversation. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I was talking to one of my colleagues uh, at the time and we, I think a med student, I was introducing a med student to one of my colleagues and I was like, oh my God, this is great. I want you, you know, you want to be in orthopedics. Let me introduce you to uh, the PD. Then, we mm-hmm. can, you know, that way it'd be a good, good way for you to kind of get your foot in the door right away. And the PD, unfortunately, came up and said, well, oh, great. It's great that you're a woman who wants to come into orthopedic surgery. Um, it's going to be so much easier for you. And at that moment, I, I cringed a little bit and I was like, that's kind of not true. And right. not, it's not in my experience. I feel like, yes, people are looking for diversity. Yes, women do get noticed more because there's 15% in residency and maybe 6% practicing. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it's easier to get in. Um, and so, you know, what's, I, I just started looking things up and be like, hey, is there any literature here? There isn't. Right. How can we look at these numbers? How can we prove it? And and so I went down that really deep rabbit hole and, and found the data for it. And mm-hmm. I asked AAMC and NBME for their da- data. And apparently they're not very forthcoming with their data most of the time, but <laughs> no, for some not. reason, right, this right. time they said yes. Okay. And I got the data. And so, um, yeah, that was from a side conversation. And I was very happy to show that, you know, the 2% difference in OIT, um, not OIT, USMLE step one score was, yes, it's it's uh, statistically significant, but clinically it's two to five points. So right. that's absolutely nothing. Right. Um, and, and so women are just as competitive as men uh, for those who get in and those who are applying to orthopedic surgery. So I, mm. I'm happy to put out data like that. Right, right. What would your message be to those medical students who kind of hear that, um, you know, you're so lucky you're a girl because you're just going to get in. So like everyone's just going to accept you just because you're a girl and we need the numbers. Well, now you have a piece of paper to show them. It's like, yeah, that's not true. Right. And then um, actually the the reason I'm so excited about getting this data is that I think over the next few months, my next next paper is going to come out where we did a predictive model mm-hmm. of your ability to get into orthopedic surgery based on, you know, um, um, your scores oh. and how your odds of getting in based on your step one, your um, volunteer experiences and we actually threw in gender and race. Hmm. What we found was that gender did not give you any, there was no difference between a male and a, and a female. So there's no difference for gender. Wow. The, the surprising thing for me was that we found a difference for race. Um, so hmm. regardless of if your race, if you were not white, 
you have a lower odds of being accepted into orthopedic surgery, despite having equal um, academic metrics. So I'm really excited about that paper coming out. Yeah, excited meaning I can show it, but not excited that it that's what right. It's it's something that it's something that we need to state, and it's an unfortunate truth. um, But hopefully, it inspires actions. Yes, but at least for women, uh, we can say that there is no advantage of being a woman. Right. Um, Nice. Very cool. The next article that you published was in July of 2019, um, and it was a five-year review of the designated leadership positions in POSNA, which for our listeners is the Pediatric Orthopedic Society of North America. And so you basically examined the membership and the leadership of POSNA and found that although the number of female members Uh, or the percentage increased uh, from 18% to 22%, and women were volunteering for all the the committees at a comparable increase, the representation of women in the highest levels of the organization were still lower than the membership uh, percentage. So what was also the inspiration for this project? Once again, <laughs> it a is conversation. Once again, it's a sideway hallway conversation, so I should right. stop talking to people about things. <laughs> no, um, <laughs> it, it ends up being a lot more work for me afterwards. Yeah. Um, so uh, one of the co-authors, actually, Josh, uh, and I were kind of at a pause in the meeting, and we were just talking, and, and, and he kind of mentioned that, you know, the reason why there's not a lot of women in the upper echelons or doing all these things for POSNA is because they're probably not interested or, right. you know, women do take a few years off to, you know, have kids or, or whatever, or build their career, whatever it is that it seems like there is a gap uh, for mm-hmm. women. And I, I was like, yeah, I did take four years off, but I don't think that other women are. Right. Um, and so once again, we're like, you know what, let's just look at it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Josh was good. <laughs> It was a really good sport. And he's like, yeah, let's just look at it and let, let's see who's right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's that's how we started this project. And, <laughs> and happy to report that and happy to report that women uh, POSNA is a very um, it, it's actually one of the more diverse uh, yeah. societies um, and they're very inclusive. So women are coming are, are joining posna at a higher at a pretty high rate mm-hmm. they are getting uh, women into like the lower uh, leadership positions like i am a committee chair now um, and i see other people um, who get their leadership positions in posna we're seeing a lot more women up on the podium on posna and it is it mm. is one of their things that they've focused on mm-hmm. um, and the reason why i think we don't have you know more at the upper upper echelons is because I, I think it just takes time, right? Right. There has been very little women um, in orthopedics in general, and so as we continue to increase the pipeline, I think um, we we will get there. And and I'm just so proud to be part of POSNA, such a progressive uh, group of orthopedic surgeons. So, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I, what, I love POSNA. What hope uh, do you have of changes? that could be made in response to this research project? Do you hope that POSNA is listening and starting to make some moves or what, what are your hopes with this? POSNA is listening for sure um, <laughs> because I could not have gotten this uh, information without the support of right. uh, the POSNA leadership. Um, and, you know, this was po- presented on the podium and, and the uh, president and the presidential line were all very supportive of this. And they know mm-hmm. they know that there are a lot of amazing women coming up the ranks and they are looking and they're always uh, trying to be inclusive. Right. 
Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. It's, it's a great organization. I can't be more proud of them. Right. Oh, fantastic. Well, power to them for making the changes. That's great. The next set of articles are actually rather unique in that you examined the cost of maternity leave as well as whether or not a career in orthopedic surgery affects women's fertility. Um, Both of these um, articles are published in the Yellow Journal. So for our listeners, you can go ahead and look online. But uh, Dr. Poon, I was wondering if you can kind of give a summary of both of those articles and just kind of what you had found. Yeah, so these two articles came up from a Facebook post. Um, I <laughs> a conversation. It's 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 almost a conversation, but it came up up from a Facebook post. We have this amazing group, uh, Facebook group, where uh, orthopedic surgeons who are women mm-hmm. are in, and one of them um, posted about you know the 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 fertility. Um, issues that she was having and how she's struggling with that emotionally. And the question was like, how many of us have that problem? Mm -hmm. Um, And how do we like, we never talk about this. And so why do we not talk about this? And why, why not? Let's just look at the data and look at the numbers. Is it because that we are surgeons and we delay our um, child bearing times just because we are surgeons and is that why we're having more fertility issues compared to the general population or do we have more fertility issues compared to the general population Mm -hmm. and so there wasn't a lot of literature on this and so we did just you know created a survey we surveyed the rjos which is the ruth jackson orthopedic society which is a group of orthopedic surgeons uh, Mm -hmm. who are women and then we also uh surveyed this uh, women in orthopedics facebook group and right. so, you know, with about a thousand orthopedic, uh, female orthopedic surgeons in the United States, we got about a 800 uh, responses. So that's that's pretty amazing. And actually kind of shows us that that we are interested in this topic. We want to learn more about this topic. Mm-hmm. And so I was kind of really excited about this. Right. Um, and so what we found was that um, if you let's go, I'm going to start with the maternity leave. If you have children or if you uh, decided to take your maternity leave as a trainee, so either a resident or a fellow, the cost is extremely low for you. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a few hundred dollars um, because you are in in training and your salary does not stop. You do. But what we did find was that uh, residents and fellows tend to take a much shorter maternity leave. Mm-hmm. Um, two to three weeks, sometimes four, maybe, um, versus if you're an attending, then now for those in private practice, they have overhead, there's other costs associated with it. And so it's up to $40,000 extra for you wow. to do, to, to, to take your maternity leave as an attending. Mm-hmm. So there is a, there's a significant financial cost, right? but you, you are able to control your maternity leave a little bit more. And so those women who have their children when they're in their attending, um, when they are in attending, tend to take a little bit of a longer leave. Mm. So I think it's just important for people to know um, it, it is harder as a resident to, to kind of 
be okay with taking six weeks off um, for your maternity leave, but it's not a vacation. Right. And um, so I usually, because of this paper, I tell my residents and any, actually any resident who's, who wants to listen to me, um, <laughs> <laughs> family planning should be, don't worry about residency, they'll survive. Right. You should have your children or plan your family based on what your needs are mm-hmm. and everything else will work out. So that's one. And then the final, the second part of this paper was the infertility. Um, And so what we found was that we are not more prone to fertility issues than the average population. So Mm. the average population age adjusted is, is, is about the same as us. So, which is really good for us to hear that we are not doing something extra to, to have this problem. Mm-hmm. But your the biggest indicator of your fertility is age. Mm-hmm. So either make plans before you hit <clears throat> age 35. Um, but, you know, our, our, there's a ticking clock for women and we mm-hmm. should be cognizant of that ticking clock. So make right. your plans. That's all. Yeah. Yeah. Aww. So and then because of this, we, we actually we went ahead and did a, um, a webinar with AAOS mm-hmm. um, talking about family planning and when you should have it and what you should take into account. And we talked about maternity. So I think slowly but surely orthopedics as a group is understanding that, yes, we're going to have to have more women in our group. Right. These are going to be issues that are coming up. And these are things that these women are going to be interested in, in knowing more data about and they should find more information about. Mm-hmm. And so um, it's very, I, I'm, I'm pretty happy with these two papers and the, the, the amount of um, information that, that's been put out there for it. No, I think it's, I honestly loved it because I don't, it, as you had mentioned, no one had talked about it before. And I think we all had these assumptions about um, that we as orthopedic surgeons had less fertility just because of all the exposures or, you know, our uh, sleep deprivation or what have you. But so I think I, I really want to congratulate you on these two papers because I, it was very much eye opening. And it probably the fact that you did have literally 800 people respond to these surveys. I think it, I think you're right. It does mean that people are very much eager to participate. They want to know, and they want to be able to learn about this stuff. Yeah. So hopefully this will create like more of a conversation, right? Mm -hmm. I had zero problems with my childbearing. I didn't have any fertility problems. I didn't have any, my, my maternity was fully covered. So I've been very lucky, but I've heard a lot of stories because of this research project of how things didn't work out or people are suffering through infertility and it, it is a suffering. And then with this, we actually even talked a little bit more about miscarriages, which is so taboo in our society right now, but yeah. I think people need to, to really be able to open up a conversation mm-hmm. and be able to talk about it, be able to work through it. Um, so uh, conversation starters. Yes, exactly. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> no, congr- honestly, congratulations on this. I really, I really appreciate the work that you've been doing. Um, I would also like to talk about your symposium that was in CORE. Um, and so correct me if I'm wrong, uh, but you and Dr. Alice Chu were the guest editors for a symposium on diversity and disparities in orthopedic surgery that was published in CORE. Um, so can you speak about how you became involved in the symposium and the types of articles that you were able to publish? 
I'm going to give you one guess. Um, <laughs> <laughs> a conversation. Yeah, no. So I, you know, I had a paper about women in orthopedic fellowships and how, why more women choose peds and hand versus right. others. And I was just having a little bit of trouble getting it published. And so I was talking to Dr. Jennifer Weiss, who mm-hmm. in the orthopedic circle, everybody knows. Um, and she <laughs> gave me the the suggestion of um, maybe you should start a symposium in core. Um, mm. Little did she understand that that paper was not core f- quality, but <laughs> I, was, I would never say no to Dr. Weiss. And so I'm like, <laughs> sure, why not? Right, right. <laughs> and so she happily made the introduction uh, for me and Alice to the editors of CORE. Mm -hmm. And CORE has always been very supportive of diversity initiatives. And so they were like, absolutely, let's do another one. We did one a few years ago, it was well received. Mm -hmm. It is time for another one. And so that's what we did. And we we sent out, um, you know, we asked all our friends and we put it on Facebook and we um, try to disseminate this, that we're doing another symposium about disparities and um, dis- uh, diversity in core. Mm-hmm. And the response rate was extremely high. So I think even at that time, of like the, this happened maybe a year or two ago, there is a lot of interest in looking at disparities in, in healthcare right. um, and in orthopedics. Um, and so it, that's how this happened. Awesome. Um, what uh, changes do you hope to see or what uh, do you think that the significance of that symposium is? So when I when we were putting it together, when we were asking for submissions, I was really hoping for a little bit more on the disparities of healthcare in terms of race and ethnicity. Right. What we got a lot of was gender disparities, which we know, but we already have a lot of data on that. So mm-hmm. this just adds to the already, the, the literature that's out there. I was trying to, hopefully other people were researching the other side of it. But um, having done both gender and ethnicity kind of research, I, I understand why there's more gender. It's much easier to look at a name and be like, that's a woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, versus if you look at a name, it's a little bit harder to be like, well, what ethnicity is this person? And ethnicity data is not routinely um, collected either. And right. so we don't have a lot of that uh, to look at and to just be, uh, to, to kind of pump out papers with. And so it's much harder, mm-hmm. um, but we did get a few. And so I'm, I'm hoping that this, especially now, that there would be a lot more interest in looking at it and looking at it in terms of ethnicity. And so that we can show that there is a difference. There is a difference that we need to work on. Mm-hmm. And then there's there's a difference that um, that we can make better. And hopefully that we will make it better in the future. Awesome. What advice do you have for surgeons and surgeons in training as well as medical students who want to pursue research into ethnic as well as racial disparities? So as long as this this is something that you're interested in, right? So when I was a resident, um, I was not a very good researcher (laughs) because (laughs) the topics were just not that interesting to me at the Mm -hmm. time. Um, and then also as a resident, you know, we, we are all so busy. Right. So 
you have to find the topic that's interesting to you. So I, you know, for spine, I find it interesting and I will do it. Um, for this, for gender and ethnicity, I just, these are the questions that I have. And so I really, really want to find the answers to. And so I will kind of keep going, even though you're going to hit roadblocks. And when you hit a roadblock, you're not just going to quit and be like, all right, that's it. I tried and I, that didn't work out. Right. So there's that. Um, find a good mentor. I like not a mentor who needed to pump out research, but a mentor who's truly passionate about what they're doing and this, this the topic that they're studying. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that passion kind of is, is infective. Mm-hmm. Um, it it kind of, you know, you can, or you can be that very excited uh, med student or resident who really wants to drive this research. And then you can drag your mentor along with you. Right. Um, so it's just, the truly for research, you have to find the thing that you love to do. Mm-hmm. Um, not everybody's going to be a researcher. And I know there are research um, requirements at certain residencies. Then you just have to find one that's interesting to you. Right. Awesome. I would like to change gears um, and talk about something that is well known on the Twitterverse. Um and that you're someone who very much appreciates Star Wars and all things that are Star Wars. And so I was hoping you could talk about what, when did you originally get into Star Wars and what has just kind of fueled your love for it? I don't, uh, I, when I've, so I think it's my children. Um, I really, really, really got into Star Wars a few years ago when my kids start watching the, the, the movies with me mm-hmm. and then they were really into it. And then they start watching the cartoons and now there's, they, they know more about Star Wars than I ever will, but, it, <laughs> but it, so I'm a Star Wars fan and not so much a nerd. Okay. Um, apparently there are multiple types of Jedis. Um, I didn't know that. I didn't know that either. Yeah, they do. <laughs> So there are multiple types of Jedi. And then, you know, Yoda, there's a female version of a Yoda as well. Um, So they have all this knowledge about this Star Wars universe that I would never have. But part of the reason I think I like being an pediatric orthopedic surgeon is that I can get into these things. I can dress up as as these characters. And the patients really appreciate it. And they Aww. light up when you walk in. They're like, oh, my God, this is awesome. Aww. So um, I, I, I can be myself a little bit more. So. Oh, that's awesome. And I know, uh, Dr. Poon, we've talked a lot about what you've done in the past, but I would love to talk about what your future goals and projects are for you, both clinically as well as research and your work with other organizations. Oh, I, future, I don't know. I, every plan that I've ever had didn't really quite work out. So I never wanted to be an orthopedic surgeon. Right. I never wanted to go into peds. Mm-hmm. I never wanted to do research. And I was never going to the spine. So I'm four mm. for four for not <laughs> planning very well, because this is exactly what I'm doing. Um, so I think, you know, when I first started my research, um, career, I guess. Um, I thought it was going to be a one and done. I'm like, all right, there's this one question that I'm going to ask, and then I'm done. And now I'm really knee deep into it. So now that I've, you know, exposed or I've learned from all of my own kind of research that there's this much disparity that exists that we are not addressing. Mm -hmm. We know now that there's disparities, how do we make it better? And that's kind of my next goal is to make it better. How do I how am I going to make it better? by, you know, obviously mentoring and, and sponsoring those behind me. Um, and also part of the reason why I, I keep 
doing research and keep putting my name out there and try to get up on podiums is that a lot of times you can't be what you can't see. Mm-hmm. And so by by being up on the podium, by being speaking with you about this, right. by just being out there, I th- I'm hoping people are going to see me and be like, if she can do it, then I can do it as well mm-hmm. um, and, and become a resource for people. So that's that's kind of my goal now. I feel like I'm a stepping stone. I don't really being up on the podium, being in the spotlight is not where I'm comfortable, mm-hmm. but I love to be able to connect people like oh, you want to do this? I know this other person. Or I have this project that can help you get into this other place that you need to get to. Mm-hmm. So I want to be a stepping stone, if that right. makes sense. No, that makes such <laughs> sense. That's awesome. Uh, Dr. Poon, I would like to go into our final segment. That is the final five, which are the five questions that I ask every guest on the She Can Fix It podcast. Um, so my first final five question for you is what is your favorite procedure to perform and why? So my favorite procedure is a good adolescent idiopathic scoliosis. Mm. And I'll tell you the exact moment that I love is once all the pedicle screws are in, all my osteotomies are done, I've put in the rod, and is when we're finally correcting the deformity. Mm. At that moment, everything is quiet. We, we The pr- blood pressure is raised. The anesthesiologist and I like lock eyes and I'm like, I am going to turn the rod now. And so when you see the deformity rotating from a crooked spine to a straight spine, that is by far my favorite uh, moment in all of surgery. Um, Because and then that's when you're like, okay, hopefully the the neural monitoring doesn't go. Please stay in the corner and please don't go. um, um, Hello. So. So there's a little bit of nervousness and anxiety associated with it. But then you see the correction and you're like, oh, all that hard work is totally worth it. So that is by far my favorite moment, not even the surgery, my favorite moment in any surgery. That's so special. Yeah. The other thing is uh, because we have residents. I love the moment when you see it click in a resident. So mm-hmm. when so putting in pedicle screws is a very kind of three dimensional feel and kind of seeing in your mind's eye how things work. Mm-hmm. And so every time I see a resident kind of understand what they're doing and it clicks in their mind, I'm like, oh, this is how I do it. Mm-hmm. That is an amazing moment in any educator's life. Oh, that's awesome. What are your go to topics for Grand Rounds presentations? at this point in my life, diversity, definitely diversity. Cause so for a while I kind of, I never wanted to be the person who talks about diversity. Mm -hmm. Um, But then when I was given my first chance at a grand rounds, I, I was trying to choose my topic and obviously I can talk about a number of things, but I can, especially like my, my, my other research stuff is more spine and early onset scoliosis, mm-hmm. but that will only apply to a very small percentage of the audience. Right. Most people are not going to take care of these young children with scoliosis. So the information that I present will be interesting, but it will not help them throughout their career. It will not help them. It will not apply in five years to them. Right. Um, but if we talk about diversity and why it's important and how to make it better, this is something that they can use in 10, 20, 30 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is really going to make a big impact in, in orthopedics in general. So diversity. Yeah. Awesome. 
What is your favorite story slash memory as an orthopedic surgeon? I think I just gave you that one before. Yeah, you did. Yeah. <laughs> you combined two of the questions into one. That was well yeah. done. Yeah. Well, that and also when they gave me my my uh, my first power drill as, as an Asian right. woman. My, I'm the only girl. So my, my dad never gave me a power drill in my life. I wasn't even allowed like near a hammer. So, um, so that was probably my favorite um, orthopedic moment is mm -hmm. when they literally put the power drill in the hand and I was like oh my god this is so awesome oh, that's <laughs> awesome so good what are your favorite activities outside of the operating room and outside of medicine so I have two young children um this is how old are they now uh six and eight <laughs> um so right now I'm kind of there they love spending time with mom and dad mm -hmm. this is not going to last forever so <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately so right now i kind of do try to spend as much time with them as possible mm -hmm. um so we before all this covid we do mm -hmm. a lot of traveling we do a lot of kind of just eating out and just spending time together right um yeah so far and i like shopping but <laughs> what has how has family time been different during the coronavirus pandemic i think there is more family time now. Um, I also found out that I'm a very bad kindergarten teacher. Our first grade now, very, very terrible first grade and third grade teacher. Um, so, you know, shout out to all the teachers out there. Right. But um, I think we, we were actually kind of, this is like the great pause. I'm forced to spend way more time with my kids, which is mm -hmm. good. Um, I think they're going to remember this time as the time when mom wasn't jetting off to some conference every weekend. Right. Um, and you know, we cook together sometimes, um, sometimes things turn out well, sometimes things do not, but that's okay. Right. Um, so yeah, we, we definitely spend way more, a, a lot more time and I, I appreciate this time together. Yeah. No, I think you're very much notorious for putting on the specials of favorite, uh, shopping locations on that, uh, woman in ortho Facebook group. <laughs> I am. I'm such an influencer. <laughs> <laughs> you so are. Oh my gosh. All right, Dr. Food. My last question for you is what advice do you have for orthopedic surgeons and orthopedic surgeons in training? Um, don't wait till you're completely ready to try something and try everything. Hmm. So if I, if I, I've, when I was younger, I remember, I'm like, I, I don't know if I want to do that. I want to make sure that I'm completely qualified before I try it. Right. Or like I'm completely prepared before I try it. You don't have to. Mm -hmm. um, just try it. Maybe you'll like it. Maybe you won't. Um, and so I think sometimes just stepping outside your comfort zone is important. Um, <laughs> otherwise, I wouldn't be where I am. Yeah. I remember, I really do remember it in, in, I think it was in medical school when I just decided, you know what, I'm, I'm just going to stop waiting and I'm just going to try new things. Mm. And, and, and that really changed my life. And I'm like, oh, well, I tried orthopedic surgery and now I'm an orthopedic surgeon. So. Right. Oh, that's awesome. Dr. Poon, thank you so much for joining me on the She Can Fix It podcast. I really appreciate all the work that you've been doing to just pump out so much research for women as well as racial and ethnic disparities. And I sincerely wish you the best of luck with everything that you're doing. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This is fun. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the She Can Fix It podcast with Dr. Selena Poon.
please subscribe to our podcast to show your support. Another way you can provide support and keep this podcast up and running is to donate. You can visit our website at www.shecanfixitpod.com and visit our donation page. I want to take this time to thank my lead editor and co-producer, Andrea Munger, without whom this podcast would not be possible. Thank you so much for listening and please stay safe.